HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, Heritage Radio Network podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Tira Johnson. We'll talk to Tira about our recent travels to Burgundy, the opening of Illis, and more. We'll taste an interesting wine that I asked Tira to bring in. I'm your host, Sam Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Tira Johnson migrated east about a decade ago to work in wine and hospitality at some of New York's best, including Beauty in Essex, Crown Shy, Terroir, and Crown Club at Barclays, to name a few. Along the way, she received her sommelier certification. Tira is now the wine director at Illis from Mads Refslund. I hope I got that right. A co-founder of Noma in Copenhagen. Illis's much-anticipated opening in Brooklyn is truly one of the most fascinating and unique dining experiences today. Tira's love for wine is only superseded by her true love for dogs. <laughs> Welcome to the Grape Nation, Tira. Thank you. All right, so people can get a better handle of who's sitting across from me. I want you to sort of spend a little time and tell me about your journey in life and wine that got you currently to illness and a couple things I'm curious about curious about and when you tell me this timeline is where the wine thing like what when did you connect to wine when did you give a crap about wine and maybe who influenced influenced you so 
start with you're in college, you're working as a host, you kind of like it, and then take me home here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would actually say my first exposure to wine was growing up as a kid. Um, My grandparents lived in Windsor in Sonoma. So we would visit once, twice a month, and my my parents and my grandparents would always go to wineries. So I would always play out in the vineyards or hang out with my brother. Wow. So cool culture. I knew what Charney was when I was eight. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until I um, moved to San Francisco in the city um, and was going to fashion school and I was hosting at restaurants um, there. Just so, to make a living. And yeah. Some- yeah. So I was working at Bacar. And I remember I attended a champagne class. That was my first wine class ever. I was through Bacar. Yeah, yeah, Bacar. It was in Soma, and uh, I was eighteen, and I was tasting these wines, and I just found it really fascinating. Uh, I later moved on and became a maitre d at Nopa, and that's really where education became a really big part, from spirits to um, the farms that we buy all our produce and meat from to um wine so did they embrace you like they would have classes and prep Mm -hmm. all the help on the wines along with the food yes yeah I, i always wonder about this it's like you go to school for fashion and it's some job you know as a hostess that gets you to another job that changes your career path is it fair to say that's what happened yes yeah i mean did your parents say what's going on here where's the fashion stuff uh, no, I think my parents have, they know I'm a, I've always been very independent since I was a little kid. So they've always kind of trusted my path and that I'll find my way. Um, but yeah, no, being around, um, all that education and just like how nice and supportive, um, the whole com- restaurant community was, uh, really made me gravitate toward them versus like the more cold kind of side of fashion. <laughs> I think you got it right. Um, so what are the last things you're doing before you decide to head East and why? Um, I was, I was living in SF for six years and I came in, uh, I came and visited, uh, New York city because my, uh, my mom and stepdad just moved here a, a year prior and I came to visit for a week and I just fell in love with the city just, you know, I was, I was in Brooklyn, I was in, you know, uh, East Village and eating and drinking and going out. And I just loved the energy. And I took a flight back home and I cried on the flight. (laughs) And uh, that's when I knew I was going to move to New York in the next year. What's crazy is San Fran is as good as anywhere, but there's nothing like New York. So really caught when you got here, did you have a clue or were you clueless? Like I heard about this place or I got to go to the village or, you know, when you got here, were you just feeling your way or you knew? Yeah, I was, I was feeling my way. I actually wanted to do something completely different, um, in restaurants than I did previously in San Francisco. Uh, in San Francisco, I was, uh, I was involved with restaurants that were more farm to table. Uh, I moved here and decided to work in more like club restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so you you cry on the plane, you go home. How soon after do you head back to uh, New York? It was four months. Oh, quickly. Yeah, four months. All right, months. so we're in New York now. Take me through that timeline. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was 23. Jeez. I, I know, it's 
yeah, it's been almost 10 years. And I uh, just started, I was serving in uh, restaurants. I eventually was uh, sawmine at STK uh, in near Bryan Park. By and, the Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, it was, good, this, this feels a like a different spot. life. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's not a, not a legit wine spot, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we sold so much wine. We sold so much wine. Uh, nothing I would really drink this, to this day. But, um, oh my God, so much gave us. But um, I, that led me to move on to uh, Beauty in Essex. And I worked with uh, Megan Artisoni. So when you say move on to Beauty in Essex, that's more your sensibility? Like this is kind of a cooler, hipper New York place that you're thinking? Mm -hmm. All right, so you go there. Are you doing the wine thing or are you doing other stuff? I'm doing the wine thing. So I I was a floor manager and then I uh, also was a wine manager. So I oversaw the wine program, uh, doing inventory on a weekly basis, um, teaching wine classes on a biweekly basis. And it was a really, it was a really amazing wine program. We bought so much from Rosenthal and David Bowler. So really so the good importers. Yeah. It wasn't, it was an empire in Southern. So somebody <laughs> there had the sensibility to say, these are the type of wines. They happen to be these importers, yes. which was a good thing for you to be exposed to that. Mm-hmm. All right. So we, let's keep going. Beauty and Essex for how long then were? Uh, after that, I moved on to ABC Restaurants. So uh, I was managing at ABC Christina and then ABC V when they first opened. And from there... Were they serious about wine? Uh, yeah. It, it was definitely... More a, supplementary than... It's... Yeah, at Cocina, it was definitely uh, leaning more toward uh, cocktails. Right. But we did have a really cool uh, selection tight, of... Tight uh, list. Yeah, yeah. And then at ABCV, it was really into the more fr- like juices and, you know, they were also open for breakfast and lunch, but... Um, but didn't you have to t- pair shit with artichokes and asparagus anyway? <laughs> Not easy, right? A lot of white wine. Yeah, I guess. Greek maybe. All right, so you're there how long and then where? Uh, I was there for a little less than a year, and I just was ready to just be full on in wine. I was ready to step away from uh, management because I was managing for So is that years. sort of the moment you determine – listen, I like hospitality. I like all these restaurants, but wine is, mm-hmm. what year was that? That was 2000. That was the end of 2017. Yeah. Okay. Not that long ago. Yeah. Were you doing a decent amount of wine stuff? Had you started some certification? Were you doing tasting groups? Did you befriend people that, you know, you were tasting? Were you getting into the thick of it? Yes, yes. Um, actually, one of my friends now, um, I w- when I was first introduced to him, Blake, he was working at Barbalude. And I remember going there and he, him helping me um, with blind tasting. Does Blake have the hard... Last name to pronounce? No. No, Blake Bernal. Oh, he okay. he runs uh, Pavillon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For Daniel Balloon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so you're around some good people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just, I just wanted to be surrounded by wine and just be the student again and learn. So that's when I saw Paul Greco posted at Terroir that he was looking to hire 
uh, someone uh, to work there. Um, I went in for an interview and yeah. Did you know that Paul was a guy or the guy, like he had the background and he has this vision and he has this place? Did you know that or you? I, a little bit, but not at the capacity. So when you were there, you were feeling it, right? <laughs> yes. Because yeah. yeah. he's the real deal. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. in that sense. It's just like, we called it controlled chaos. I like that. Um, did you, at that place, at that period of time, get as much or more than anywhere else as far as wine, tasting, and info knowledge? I learned so much from working there so much i mean the by the glass program is ginormous and you would sometimes come into a shift and all of a sudden there's like 15 20 new wines by the glass so really and paul uh really loves the whole scope of the world of wine and really uh, leans into like the different underdog grapes in the world and promotes that. And promotes them. Which mm -hmm. is, you know, really not. I mean, we have to give him a super assistant kudo for Riesling's prominence in New York. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's kind of... Back when that was more of the underdog. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I mean, it's not an underdog now a lot because of him. Um, so I asked you earlier, you know, when you got into wine. I think we got to that point. Who influenced you? I think, you know, Paul is there, Blake. Um all right, so you spend a few years at Tawar? Yes, I was there for a little over two years, and then the pandemic happened. Okay. Um, when the pandemic happened, I started working at Brooklyn Wine Exchange. Uh, a retail store. Yes, yeah. So I was there from March 2020 and worked there for about two years. Out of necessity, because mm -hmm. there was no real restaurant business. Was that, did that enhance... How you looked at wine being on the retail level? Yes. How? Yes. Um, I mean, also another environment where I was constantly tasting and learning about wines. Uh, Tim, who was the uh, wine buyer there, he really uh, took me under his wing and he really taught me a lot about Burgundy too. Like we would, he would open up so many different bottles of Burgundy, would taste it together. We used to nerd out about Riesling. And um, he, uh, we eventually like grew the champagne program larger, and it. He also was the one who handed me the sake program, and being the sake. What's uh, Tim's last name? Uh, you remember? No, not Sullivan. No, 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 no. Wait, he's gonna kill me now. All right, you'll pop that in. <laughs> but Tim sounds like definitely one of the guys along the travels that was a good influence, mini mentor and all that, right? Mm -hmm. um, were you drinking all kinds of Burgundy or kind of newer age Burgundy then? Uh, I would probably say a little bit more new age. Okay. Uh, he loved Fourier, so he's opened up a I lot of that. And a little later in the show, not that much later. I want to talk about that. All right. So pandemic forces you, you're resourceful, take a job in retail. Pandemic kinds of died, kind of dies down. I'm guessing you're not the person that wants to stay anchored in retail. Keep going. Yeah, I, I got the bug to, or yeah, to want to go back to restaurants. Uh, I was kind of teetering and wondering, you know, do I want to go back to restaurants? Do I want to, you know, see something outside of restaurants? And so 
<clears throat> I picked up, uh, uh, I started working at Crown Shy, so with Kristen Golsajak, and that was in 21. Was Luke gone by then? Yes, he was gone by then. Kind of a maniac. Um, <laughs> he wouldn't mind that I said that. So He's that's nice. top of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, food and wine. Yeah. How long are you there? And, you know, what effect did it have on your thoughts towards wine in your career? Uh, I was there for a year. Okay. Um, it was... It was it was a weird time when I first started because it was right when they started to allow indoor dining again. Right. And we were still like running with a skeleton crew. Um, and then also working through there, things started to normalize a little bit. Then the Omicron hit and it was just a very still like bumpy. Yeah, bumpy year. Um, but it was a Kristen did such an amazing job with that list and the food was amazing and it was definitely a very nurturing environment. Um, the Kat Finelli, who was the head psalm, she was amazing and really taught me how to like fine tune service and also with wine service. And she's just phenomenal. Yeah, you're, you're always learning stuff mm-hmm. you didn't know. Um, so you leave there when and why? I left. <clears throat> I left because it was I. I was going through it. I wasn't sure what I really wanted in life. Um, I was as far as hospitality and wine, or where in hospitality and wine. It it was a it, it was some personal stuff too. Okay, you know, um, I ended a four year relationship. Okay, so yeah. that's pretty emotional. Yeah, yeah, and there was just a lot of stuff. Was that, that was person here or somewhere else? Here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, and. I I was just I was looking for something. I was looking for inspiration. I was just ready for like a new chapter in my life. And it was weird. I like the week after my breakup with my ex is when I started uh talking with Mads and Will uh about Illis. All right. So hold that point for a second. Continue talking to Dr. Ben Ruby. Um <laughs> where's Where's the intro or how do you get to Mads? That's kind of not random, but we're going to talk later how it took so long to get this damn restaurant open. But who, how do you get to Mads, you know, then? Uh, I So I actually had a few different uh, people, friends of mine, that actually recommended me for the job. So they were putting feelers out, trying to look for someone to run the wine program. So, um, so there was, I don't know if it's a buzz, but there was word that Mads is coming. He's looking for a space, has a space is going to open up, you know, who knows how long it would take, but people say they're looking for wine guys and your friends in the biz recommend you, mm-hmm. you take a meeting. How does that go? Um, yeah. So they were like, they were telling me, they were like, I, I know you're not, you're not working at Crown Chai anymore. I'm not sure if you're looking for work, but you know, there's this place opening up in Brooklyn and I think you're perfect for the job. And that was one person. And then there was another person and they both recommended me and it just so happened to be the same job. I had no idea it was the same place. And I really took that as a sign. And uh, we started chatting um, over the phone. You and Mads? Yes, Mads. And then Will. Will was still uh, Dulé. He was still living in uh, the Bay Area in San Francisco. So... I was chatting with them. I met up with Mads with Fort Coffee, and then they signed me on. Wow. Yeah. So 
answer this for me. When people said you'd be perfect for the job, why do you think they thought that? Nobody knew. They had an idea of what Mads can do and what he had in his mind. But why do you think they thought that? Because it'll bear itself out later when we talk about Mads mm-hmm. and the restaurant. Why do you think, you know, it seemed like a fit then? I think because I kind of straddle between two different wine worlds in a way. Explain um, what that means. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, def- I, I participate in a lot of these big wine events, opening up Burgundies, champagnes. I'm working La Festa del Barolo this weekend. Like La Palle. Yeah. La Festa. Exactly. And, you know, all the sommeliers. Did you put yourself in that world as soon as you could or when you could so that you were around the wines, the makers and those? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, once I had an opportunity, I took it and just said yes to every opportunity. And it really exposed me to a whole other side of wine that you normally only taste and drink when you work at three two-star Michelin restaurants. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And I've always worked more in the more fine, but... Crown Shy has it. Like casual, but fine dining. Yeah. Right. Um, So just so I'm clear, Crown Shy is the last long-term job you had before um, Illis, or you did a few things in between? Oh, I did so many things in between. You did? So, yeah, so I was... Just buzz through them. Don't go into <laughs> detail. Because I have a question about that. Yeah. Um, so I was signed on. I was just working part-time because we're still waiting on construction. I mean, they didn't even cement the floors down. So they committed to you. They paid you. But we're not paying you full-time when yeah. we're not open. It was just like hourly but for my work. We're locking you in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you need to do other stuff. So... Yeah, so I was um, salming part-time at uh, Hawksmoor. Had uh, it just opened or it was, it was fairly new? I would say like six months. My, but my best friend Lauren was the wine director. And Open to great notices and a good program, right? Yeah, and I was just like, of course I want to psalm with my best friend for just a couple shifts a week. Lauren who? Uh, Lauren Hoey. Hoey, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's at Jupiter now. Right, with uh, Annie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also was um, working at Barclay Center at Crown Club. What? Was Jeff Porter doing that? Yes. Is he the guy that brought you in? Or? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was. He's, so that he's, was kind of a cool program for an arena, right? Just oh, explain quickly what it is. The Brooklyn Nets arena has this thing called the Crown Club, and they put together this wine service, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the uh, Crown Club, it's owned by a major food group. Uh, the food menu is pretty much carbone, like you have the spicy rigatoni, the veal parm, and it it's only open for the top tier ticket holders uh, for the games. So they come in, you can order whatever food you want, Crazy. and then there's this insane wine list. I think I'd go home when the game started. <laughs> um, was the wine list any lean towards Italian because of the Teresi type stuff or not necessarily? No, it was very much like Burgundy Bordeaux. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, So you did that out of necessity and as a placekeeper, right? Mm -hmm. So when do you bail on everything and go full bore on Illis? That was um, just this past summer. Okay. Yeah. So what month? That was August. And if you walk through the door, what percentage is the place done? 80, 90, 70% or? I would say, 
around that time, it was like 90, 95. Right. They were rushing to get it yeah. done. Yeah, or like 95, it. yeah. All right, so pause for a minute and answer this question for me because now I understand a little of it, but, um, you know, this is a crazy business. You moved around a lot. I mean, it's crazy how much you moved around when you think about it. I mean, if you were in the corporate world, they go, what's wrong with her? <laughs> you know, she's had 11 jobs in four years or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, what do you attribute that to? The pandemic? Um, finding your own way? I mean, you bumped a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Do you feel that that's not an issue? It's not, but do you... Do you ever worry about the people ever say, hey, you just had nine other jobs the last three years? Yeah, I mean, the a lot of the jobs I was doing while waiting for Illis to open was right. just part time. You were committed. Something that flexible schedules. And then uh, before that, I was just really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. You know, I was definitely going through a phase where I was trying to figure out do I want to stick with restaurants? Do I want to go back to management? Do I want to run my own program? Uh, was your four-year significant other in the business? Uh, he was. Okay. Yeah. So that could rub things in yeah. another wrong way. Yeah. Because um, for one person, it's psychotic. Then you have two people in a room vibrating and it can get crazy. All right. So you get to Illis this past summer. We're going to leave it there because we're going to come back to that because there's a lot to talk. But I want to talk to you, but before we take a break, um, you were just in Burgundy, mm -hmm. and I'm aware of why you were there, um, and it was an amazing trip. So I want you, while it's fresh in your mind, I want you to talk to me um, about your recent sommelier scholarship trip to Burgundy, um, which was literally less than a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, so first... Tell me what the Sommelier Scholarship is and who the people are behind it, you know, which is why you were there. Yeah, so it's uh, run by uh, Pressoir, uh, who run uh, La Palais, La Fette, La Table. Daniel and, Johns, who's a very prominent French wine person, has been awarded. Yeah, and he started this, um, this scholarship uh, about a decade ago because of how Burgundy has just, the pricing has just skyrocketed. And so many young sommeliers don't really have the opportunity to try or see these wines. So we really wanted to bring them to the origin of the place and see Burgundy, um, which kind of just feels so out of touch for so many young sommeliers. Uh, and yeah. Is that the vibe? It's sort of like Burgundy's Burgundy and if I get to it or taste it. Yeah, well, you it's know, it's they're, they're special. You know, yeah. and you're like, before there used to be these burgundies that they would have by the glass. You know, I mean, Bourgogne Rouge. Remember, like, it's just, you, you're like, remember when a village level burgundy was like $20, $30? It's like a buck 70, you know, yeah. for some of these guys. Yeah. So, Retail. Forget about what a restaurant Oh, is. yeah. Yeah. So the idea was to get working sommeliers handpicked by the pressoir people. Mm -hmm. To take a group trip? Yes. yes. With an itinerary. Mm -hmm. All right. So as far as I could tell, this looked like the trip of a lifetime. We talked <laughs> about this off air. I mean, if you know Burgundy, 
you see some of the names. So tell me about some of the people or most of the people you visited, met, tasted. I mean, everyone. Yeah, I mean. Quick first question. Is there anyone that you didn't get to that you could have or should have? Ooh, I I mean there there always tough, there always right? is there yeah, always yeah, yeah. is but yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. that you have to park. All right, so let's let's talk about what wowed you and you know the nice thing is in the end these guys are like farmers and mm-hmm. they're not these slick guys and they take you out in the field or these kind of cool thing. So tell me about some of the people you met. What were what were some of the wines that impressed you? Give me an overall takeaway at the end when you left there. There's there's just a whole spectrum and different side of Burgundy that, you know, seeing it in person. Uh, I got to taste with Bastian Wilbur, who's a uh, he's um, he's the brother to the winemaker for Vossenhaus. And he's making, yeah, <laughs> and he's making. Um, he's in Burgundy? He's in Burgundy. I think Lawson House makes Pinots too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually does a Spätburgunder too. He does? Yeah, but he's a he's more of a negoce, and then he does have one vineyard that he farms. Um, but it's all these different uh, wines from like Cote de Nuit, and um, it, they're, it's just like visiting his like garage kind of like cellar and like tasting his, you know, I think this is like his third vintage. It was really cool to see that. And then like on the opposite side of the spectrum was like going to Eric, tasting with Eric Russo out of barrels, you know, someone who's like very established. Armin Russo, you know, there's Jevry Jambertines and all that. What I love is that you started with Wolver and not like Romani Conti. So is Eric, generationally like a younger guy running the winery now how old is he oh no uh he's 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 passed it on uh to his daughter oh okay so, his da- so, so eric is yeah. one. yeah yeah i i got it and wrong you, you see was she around yes she was around she's a little bit more shy and eric um he actually uh i just found well raj was uh so impressed that he actually learned english really before he didn't know like any english and he was able to have a conversation in English. So, all right. So, tell me about a couple of other places. Did you do Romani Conti? And yes, you didn't do La Show, did you? No, yeah. did not do La Bar La Show. <laughs> right. But did um, Munarija Borg? I thought that was phenomenal. I really love those wines and yeah. the two sisters behind it are very just, cool. Yeah, cool story. Um, when you were, were you in a lot of the cellars? Yes. Were you tasting three, four, five, six different wines, vintages, all of that? Yeah. So I was tasting um, out of barrel at most of the estates, and it was the 22 vintage. What's the word on the 22 vintage that you know? I I, I love it. Yeah. So you love it, which I love that you love it. Yeah. But, and the, and, and the gives producer. a crap about the critics? But how is this vintage going to be written about? 22. I think 22 is, it was a, so 21 was a really disastrous uh, vintage right. where they lost so Early many. On, yeah. yeah. Like certain, certain places like Simon B's lost 80%. I know. Um, 22 was such a plentiful vintage. They, it was just like, they got a lot of yields. Quality. Really quality too. You know, very fresh. Um, they, I did hear some talks about like 17 vintage and, 
you know. So that's exciting that the 22 could be more plentiful mm-hmm. and it's a good Which vintage. Is what we need. Yeah. All right. So tell me about takeaways from this trip. Like, you know, when you look back, what are your takeaways? And you mentioned Wolver, so that means something. But tell me one or two other wineries that you knew of or weren't aware of that just stuck with you. Um, I mean, I knew of, but going to visit Lafarge what in Volnay was just so magical. I almost cried when I was in the cellar. Really? Yeah. There's a guy that makes incredible wines where some of them are not so crazy priced, right? Lafarge? Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have gotten more expensive, but it's Every, no... But, I mean, but, but Beaujolais if, has gotten more expensive. Oh, yeah. Right? And they actually make a Beaujolais or several Beaujolais, and they're very good. But this cellar, it was like, I think it's from the 13th century, and it was just like, it felt like you're in a catacomb. It was just covered and you know, black. That's memorable. Yeah. And the wines were great. And the right? wines, like, tasting them out of barrel. And Frederick, uh, the dad who, it's it's now his um, daughter, Clotilde, and uh, is taking over the domain now. But tasting with him, he was just so, there was just so much soul and passion. He was so sweet. More is much or more than anywhere. Oh, my gosh. And That's you, what you remember. Yeah. And just seeing that passion and you can see it like come through the wine and it just felt like just so personal and I don't know I'll always remember that's very cool that one um the fact that it stuck out that way um we talked about this a little I think off air how you know Burgundy has gone through so much change and your exposure on this trip was amazing but a lot of these Burgundies are inaccessible because they don't make a lot uh, they don't get to the public. They either get to collectors or restaurants. Um, and expensive. Mm-hmm. And even for you, you know, you're in the world and you can't get to everything. So a trip like this is awesome. You know, plus you can order stuff for the restaurant, but I'm sure you can't get everything. Talk to me and tell my listeners, if they want to stay in the Burgundy game, how could they drink it realistically where they're not spending an arm and a leg? where they're getting some good quality to value. Where should we go for Burgundy? So there's a lot of these outlier, more underdog regions, um, like Haute-Chalonnet and Maconnet. You will find a lot of really um, uh, like better-priced uh, wines that I can afford. So they're in Burgundy, but they're not in the Cote de Bonne or Cote Noir or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then I would also say go outside of Burgundy. There's to where? Drink some, drink some Spaperganger from Germany. Okay. Have some Garnacha from Sierra de Grados. Like, Can you help me with something? Is Spaperganger German Pinot Noir? Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure. That's what they call it. <laughs> yeah. So let's come back to that for a second. In Macanay and what'd you say? Cochalanay or mm-hmm. tell me Give me a couple of makers that you know are like in stores or on lists Yeah, that you I, like. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first one that comes to my head is Duriel Gentiel uh, with all the Ruiz. Will you spell Gentiel for me? Can you do your best? Yes. Um, J-A-N-T-H-I-E-L. Okay. That's somebody to look for. Give me a couple more. Um, there's the Brett Brothers. Uh, they're uh, doing some really amazing Macron whites. 
is it under Brett Brothers or there's a name of the winery? There's Brett Brothers and then there's uh, uh, Souffondry, I believe, is the other label. Is it Brett Brothers because their name is Brett or it's short for Brett or whatever? No, no, no. Not, <laughs> not about Petrodomyces. Okay. All right. Mycies or whatever you call <laughs> I wanted to make sure. All right. So we have a couple of regions in Burgundy. Do you put Beaujolais in there as uh, sort of, or you you kind of separate that? I, you know, I I kind of separate it. Okay. You know, it's a different, it's a different, you know, I I Beaujolais is always where you can find some excellent, and there's so there's like a whole new generation of winemakers there. It's no longer just like Foyard and right. It's good value, but even that's going up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you made a good point that there are other places to look for quality Pinot Noir. I, I think the good and bad is, I think the good is that Wasson House nails that. I think the bad is it's not that easy to find anymore. Yeah. Um, so give me some other outside Pinots, region makers that comes to mind like a Wasson House. Can you think of anything? Um. There's oh, uh, Zeresen. Spell it. Z i e r e s e n. I'll double check. But where, yeah, where are Zeresen. they? Uh, so they're in Baden, and oh, they in make Germany. some really amazing Spätburgunders, and I, they actually make it a phenomenal Syrah too. So Germany is definitely a spot to go. Uh, anything in Austria come to mind for Pinot? You know, not not like Germany, right? Yeah, I mean that would be more like. Uh, Blau Frankish. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally different and grape. And and stuff. Interesting grape. All right. We're talking to Tira Johnson. Tira is the wine director at Illis. Illis is a relatively new restaurant um, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk um, about Illis and the wine program and what Tira is doing and what Mad's cooking and all that. So you're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions master cheesemaker program and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Tira Johnson. Tira is the wine director at Illis. Um, If you haven't heard of Illis, look it up, but I think it'll sort of come up at some point either somebody you know or review or you know whatever because it's different all right so let's talk about the restaurant and you alluded to something that i want you to talk about more it it took a while to open this restaurant in many ways i mean i kind of 
pegged it back to 17 that Mads Refslin wanted to open a restaurant. And then I think when he got it, the doors didn't open right away. So tell me a little about, you know, what you know about the journey of the restaurant and you jumped in last summer. Yeah. So this has been a vision, a dream of Mads for a while. Um, the original space I think was supposed to be in uh, Williamsburg and just, you know, the business side of things. And then the pandemic just kind of uh, ruined that plan. Uh, but it was uh, during the pandemic that he um, uh, was started talking with uh, Will Dule about opening um, the place. And Who's so, Will? So Will Dule, he's the other co-founder. Okay. Mm -hmm. He has a sound background? He does. Doesn't yeah. that excite you that a dude like that with a sound wine background is opening this? He's rooting for the wine. It's great because we have a cellar in space for wine. Okay. So usually that's not the case in restaurants. Do you know, I know we're jumping around, but I'll get us back. Do you know how those two met? Uh, Will and Mads? I believe they met, I think like eight, eight or 10 years ago. Will probably went out to experience it or... Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure exactly the story. I just know that they became friends. I think it was through mutual friends and such, and they just kind of stayed in touch. Um, why did they want to open in the U.S. in Brooklyn? You said this was a dream of Mads. What do you know about that? Uh, Mads, he, I, I mean, he lives in Brooklyn, and the original place was going to be in, um, in, in Williamsburg. But uh, this space, so it's um, right next door to Forskow. And Forskow is this Danish-owned art gallery. So uh, they had this spot. And Literally, they like, connected? Connected. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they showed them. It was, like, an abandoned kind of warehouse. So they kind of reached out and said, dude, you got to look at this. Yeah, and so they saw the space. You're Scandinavian. Come talk to oh, us. Oh, yeah. No, it used to be a rubber factory, but it was it's a beautiful, like, super tall ceilings, exposed brick, and we really tried to keep what it originally looked like. So it's like four or 5,000 square feet? It's... I actually don't know the square footage. I think it's somewhere between. Yeah, it's it's a it's a large restaurant. Yeah, maybe um, maybe somewhere around there. Um, did Mads move here to settle and open something? Like, do you think that's why he was here, or so? So he um, moved in, uh, opened up Acme with their Danish concepts. When they first opened, the Acme in the city. Yes. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize Yeah, yeah, and, th and this is like, like on early Jones Street or something down. Yeah, like the... 2010s. I oh, think. So yeah, he's been around. Yeah, he's been a around for a while, um, but he's also, I find him as such like an, a nomad, like international traveler. Um, he spent a lot of time in Mexico. Right with he, the Noma Tulum thing mm -hmm. or something. Uh, also in the Maldives. Uh, he goes to Japan. He goes right now. He's in Spain right now for a um, uh, food conference. Or yes. Something. Mm -hmm. Evan told me she's with him, um, which is interesting. Um, do you, from what you're telling me, do you feel that he's, you describe him as a nomad. You can back that up with some incredible projects. He's here. 
do you see him getting bored with something like this because he's nomadic or he found his place in space? Oh, yeah. He he found his okay. place in space. Yeah. Because okay. uh, I don't want to see you out of a job next year. Oh, no, 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 no. We hey, are, guys, I'm out we of are the, yeah, we are not bored over okay. there. I'll tell you that. Okay. All right. So that's Mads, you know, truly one of the most notable chefs and restaurant guys in the world for a lot of reasons. And he and he also is just so creative. So creative and just such a great human being. Nice. I really really love working with him. Nice to hear that. You yeah. don't always get that. Yeah. You know, so when you get that whole thing. And just All right. mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, and I was just uh, about to say that. You know, I, I feel like his creativity like we all feed off each other, you know, and just like think outside of the box and such. And just having a a space like that uh, to create and just to be open-minded and to hear different ideas and kind of so you've worked with a lot i mean james kent's a pretty good chef i mean this guy not no knock on ken but this guy's at some kind of different level oh yeah you know which is good i love for him. it yeah <laughs> um it seems like you love it all right so i said the restaurant is truly unique let's talk about the physical part of it Tell me about the space, because when we talk about the wine, people are going to be comfortable knowing, oh, this is where, you know. So the space is unique. Tell me a little about how it's set up. Yeah, so uh, you walk in and uh, we have these big draped uh, beige curtains and you walk into this room and you have no idea where you are. Uh, And then you check in and then they open up the curtain and then you walk into the bar and lounge area and you see the whole restaurant. So the whole restaurant is um, centered around the kitchen. And this is whole Mads's idea of he doesn't want there to be any borders between the kitchen and the diner. Is the kitchen in the center? In the very center. Okay. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it takes up most of the restaurant. <laughs> well, that's his call. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, the kitchen's right there. Um it's all, we only cook over open flame. So we have this really huge hood that also took one of the reasons why. Custom made. Custom made, you know, uh, construction, installing it, like takes a long so time. So it's an open fire cooking restaurant. Mm-hmm. Stay with the food for a second. It's, you know, a dumb statement, but it's farm to table or foraged or, yes. you know, he's a stickler for ingredients. Mm-hmm. So oh. it's all about uh, North American ingredients. So uh, this past summer, uh, a bunch of the sous chefs, they took a trip and went up to Maine and Vermont. Uh, they also took trips to New Jersey and they like foraged different, you know, like sumac and beach plums from New Jersey. Unusual and, but available stuff. Oh, yeah. No. And it's just in, it's in excess. There's so much of it. Um, and just like forging it and pickling it. Kane, who's our R&D sous chef, uh, he's like our fermentation guy, making all these really interesting misos and um, pickling. And yeah, it's it's really cool. So fermentation, open fire. And ice. Specific, not very specific, but North American, like you said, whatever Maine to Jersey, you know, has to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, they're serving it. Um, on the menu, there's two or three menus, right? There's... Yeah. Tell me about the menu options. So the menus, so this also is 
you know, we're, we're not set to one formula. We're kind of like changing and going in the way that we think is the good direction. So whatever you started with is still fluid. Yes. It could change because yeah. it's for the meat. So um, one, so we were doing two different tasty menus, one which, which was smaller for seven courses and the other one for 12 courses. Um, but we wanted to do a whole, what Maz's whole vision from the beginning was to treat it like a market. So uh, we have these carts with seafood and, you know, there's like uni, there's our clam flask. It pulls up to your table? It pulls up to your table. Do you pick? And you can pick which oysters, which you so can- So if you don't like uni, you could pick a bunch of clams yeah. or your oysters mm -hmm. or whatever. And so we also want to, so we've always done that from the beginning, but now we want to also incorporate that with other ingredients. So we started uh, introducing in the last couple of weeks, um, bringing these baskets of and they have- vegetables there's one with eel there's like chicken dried chicken and duck. yeah and then they go back and prepare and then we prepare the dish with those ingredients so that seems to be something they like and they're going towards sort of this bring a market selection mm -hmm. instead of saying here's your and it's also like seeing the ingredients and choosing so we're still like fine-tuning but you know, we're, we're, this is what's really cool about working for this restaurant is we're trying to think of new ideas of dining and also not to be constricted in just a tasting menu. Um, I want to get the menu set up so when we talk about the wine, we know what the hell we're talking about. But what about meats? Aren't you limited in what you want to serve? Like, yeah. it's not like filet, ribeye, skirt, blah, 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 blah. No, we won't have any beef. Pork chops. So what are you serving? Yeah. Uh, so we have so we have a lot of game birds. So we'll... Certain, you roll off a few. I would say hens. We have... Uh, well, we have chicken and duck, partridge. We had pheasant. Okay. Quail. All right. <laughs> Interesting. And then uh, we also have game meat. So... What um, kind? So we had wild boar. And uh, right now we're serving antelope. Okay. Um, have you eaten much of this in your lifetime before you got here? No, this was my first time having Are antelope. Are you much of a meat eater? I, You'll eat it. Yeah. Gonna, what you do know, you think of this stuff? I, I, you know what? I think, I think they're great. I mean, they're getting the best stuff and preparing it the best oh, way. Yeah. doesn't mean you like it, but. No, no. I mean, I really do. I, I would just say, you know, I have definitely not started to not eat as much meat as I used to like okay. three or four for, years ago. For, for good reasons. Um, before we talk about the wine list, because I want to dig into that. Now we know the space and the food. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot a little. Um, the, you can attest this is truly different, interesting, you said it's evolving. You know, they had an idea and they continue to tweak the service and all that. Um, would some people construe this as like silly? It's like you're trying too hard or or you've kind of supported Mad's conviction. So we're not thinking he's a crazy madman. But I mean... Are you comfortable with all of this? I mean, does it come across to you as like groundbreaking and different and effective? What would you say to that? I, I, I mean, I am comfortable with it. I actually really love it and thrive from it. 
I love uh, the freedom to change. Right. And to not just work with a system just because it's established, but to kind of change it and tweak it to where it's good for the employees and good for the overall restaurant. Which is a nice thing to say, good for the employees. Um, and they do it well. I yes. think if they didn't do it well, you'd sit there and go, you know what? I'm not going to lose my job telling you it's silly. But blah. no, I mean, it's they have a vision and they're pulling it off. Um, one thing you didn't mention is how many you said there's this massive kitchen on a full service. How many kitchen people are there? So we don't really have. So we call it. So we call ourselves where we're. we're we're one house. We don't have a backup house. That's your house. term. You're yes, one house. One house. Uh, and so everyone is a chef, essentially. So we do have designated chefs that are cooking on the line. And then we'll slowly rotate them out onto the floor every couple of weeks. So the cooks are the servers. The servers are the cooks. Exactly. There's no dedicated waiter, waitress, mm -hmm. wait person, whatever. Yes. Um, and that flow works nicely. You know, I do. I I mean, at the same time, we are having to, like, train these chefs yeah. to, like, serve I mean, tables and stuff. But they're doing such an amazing job. Uh, we have two chefs right now that are captains. And they just started pouring their own uh, pairings, wine pairings oh, and wow. such. Yeah. Do these guys give you more insight because they know it? Like, will they stand over you and say, you know, we have antelope and it's from Maine? And I mean, because they're involved with it. Are they talking about it? They're not just dropping the plate off, right? Oh, yeah. No. I mean, you sometimes have the chefs that actually cooked it, you know, right. and bringing it to Very you. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So there's kind of this cool buzz there. All right, let's talk about the wine program. I want to end with that because that's what I want people, you know, to remember, at least remember the most. Um, I want to ask you, I'm kind of putting you on the spot a few times. Like I asked if your service <laughs> is silly, but I didn't mean it that way. But it's oh, something. it's not silly. It's so, so much fun. <laughs> I want to ask you how important the wine program is. And the only reason I'm asking you this question is I remember when the place opened and when I did a little research, I went back to any review that I looked at or read new that I didn't see. And I'll give you an example. Helen Rosner, who's kind of cool from the uh, New Yorker, gives a really good review. I don't think she mentions wine once. I mean, you go to La Bernadine or, you know, some even Marais, whatever these places, wine's like a big deal. Um, so that's answer that. How important is the wine program? I mean, Will is a sommelier, is one of the partners. And let's talk about the wine program. Is mm -hmm. it important to them or is food really the? Uh, no, wine is a big part of the, of the program. Okay. Uh, we offer pairings for both menus. We um, have a large by the glass selection as well as sake by the glass. And um, our bottle list is around 800 SKUs wow. and growing. All mm -hmm. right. Um, so the pairing, if I do one of the menus you and I talked about, is there a preset pairing or will you do it on the fly or both? Uh, both. Okay. Yeah, we have, we have set pairings. But I also have always told the Psalms and um, 
you know, that if you have a guest, you can customize their pairings. Whatever we have open, pour it for them. If you have someone that's like super into sake, do a whole sake pairing right. for them, you know? Right. You want to be flexible. Yeah. And if you really... want. Yeah. And sometimes you have someone that wants to drink more classical stuff. So, you know, maybe I'm not going to give you that Oloroso sherry with your barbecue eel. Right. <laughs> um, that's an interesting pairing. I would think for you, by the glass is exciting because mm -hmm. there's a lot of wines that you could serve that you wouldn't buy the bottle that you could taste. Um, how much by the glass do you have? You break it down by red, white, sparkling. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we started with six white, six red, three sparkling, two skin contact. Um, but we've actually decreased it to just four. By white. feeling it out, you realize Yeah, because I'd... we offer like all our pairing wines that we have, we offer by the glass. Okay. So it's it ends up being much more than that. And it's really cool because they'll kind of change on a weekly basis. Right. Which, which is what it should be. Um, like, let's talk about this week or last week. Tell me where, like, the whites are from. What do you have? Do you have, like, Italian, Greeks? You said yeah. What <laughs> The white wines for yeah. this week? Oh. Or, I, you know, the past few, like, some yeah. of the stuff that. Uh, so we had, um, oh, this week we're um, using an pairing and having this by the glasses, Martha Stuman. Her honeymoon, which is a Columbard right. Chardonnay blend. You didn't mention blend. her before. Yeah, you mentioned Jamie and Petrosky and all that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're going to be pouring her wine. Um, we also have uh, Piero Guillemot's uh, Savigny Labone Blanc. Nice. Um, which is cool because there's a little bit of Pinot Barreau um, in it, as nice. well as a little bit of Chardonnay. Uh, Pinot Barreau is Pinot uh, Blanc. Right. Yeah. Is I wasn't clear when you said this. Is everything on the by the glass available as a bottle or not necessarily? Uh, yes. It is. Mm -hmm. Is there not everything in the bottles available by glass, obviously? No. I mean, you have collectible stuff. <laughs> so tell me about the substance of the wine list. Where's the lean? I mean, is it is it Burgundy? Is it Italy? Is it, you know, how did you... How did you break it down? Now, before you answer that, you got there. How much of a hand did you have in this? Did they turn basically all over? Did they say, Tira, start building the wine list? Mm -hmm. Did Will, who has a background in wine, say, here's what I'm envisioning, you take it? How did this list come about? Uh, it's 100% me. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you obviously had conversations with Will and Mads, like, this is where I want to go. And they're yeah. like, cool, let's go. All right. So how does it break down? Yeah. Um, well, I just want to say on top of that, that uh, one of the reasons why I love this job so much is how much they trust me with the vision of the wine list and how it can really complement the food. Uh, so the list, it leans... Um, Really big uh, sham grower champagne list. Champagne's one of my, probably my favorite wine. Preaching to the so, choir. How many oh, selections are there? Uh, we have about over 100. Champagnes. It's the perfect food for champagne, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's much or more than, I, I mean, you and I could sit here and say, if all we had to drink is champagne, we'll be happy. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's great with pizza, fried chicken. But some places, maybe it's not. That's a great restaurant for champagne. You oh, agree? yeah. That's what sort of inspired and motivated you to get a lot. Um, all right. So a lot of champagne. That's French, but we put that in sparkling. And then uh, white wines uh, have an ever-growing 
Riesling list. Okay. I realizing that I can't get enough Riesling. So the we Paul just Junior in you. I know. That's all right. Pa- Papa Greco That's making right. him proud. <laughs> That's right. So Riesling champagne, good white. Um, and we have a large French white uh selection, everything from a really large uh Chenin, um, white burgundy and Jura. And um, also Savoie. I really love a lot of Alpine whites. I feel like they go so well with, with Mads' food. food just because of the lower alcohol and just it's just light. It's light and ethereal and it just goes really well with the delicate flavors, especially with the more ice portion of the menu in the beginning. Talk to me about, so those are a bunch of regions. So in a good way, you're all over the place. I mean, yeah. you're taking the best of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about where the reds go. Uh, reds. Where from and what kind? Yeah, so the reds are mostly um, in the like light to medium bodied range. Um, we, I would say, for the more full bodied wines, we do have a bunch of classic, older Bordeaux first and second growth. Uh, but I'm the most excited about our Northern Rhone Syrah collection that we have. Tell me, <laughs> so you know, there's going on and all these great, Mm -hmm. what are you bringing in and bringing in that's either new or newish or great value? Is there anything, are you going with the classics in Northern Rhone or you've kind of brought in some other guys that are. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's a good, I, it's a good balance. I, we, I mean, we have Suho, we have some older Suho, which is kind of cool. Like 14, uh, 15 Suterone, uh, we have Dardan Rebo and we have back vintage Dardan Rebo that go back to 2010s. Wow. Uh, which is, and uh, including the whites, which are phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, we do have a little handful of uh, like Alamond and Clap right. and such, but those are like yeah. you know, the, the trophy wines and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what you didn't mention is Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Um, after this trip, do you get inspired to yes. bring in some, like, did you have Lafarge on the list much or now you were so moved, it feels good to have it on the list if you put it on? We uh, we already had Lafarge okay. on the list and I have some older Lafarge too, which I'm really happy to have. Um, uh, like some of the bone uh, reds. Nice. Um, but I want to get more. <laughs> especially more current. well i i especially- can see why now i mean you know there's such a connection yeah in a good way and it's definitely a part of the list i uh want to grow and continue to add more newer new wave kind of producers that like bastion wolber that are in burgundy and then also i mean if i'm able to get the classics you know i definitely would love um, some of those allocations what's the word i'm looking for what is you said you had skin contact Anything mm-hmm. out there that's on the list that you and I would think is out there? Like, oh, that's cool. Um, so I have uh, some Japanese wines, which I it's coming around. Uh huh. So we have a domain. So you're t- on top of that. Mm-hmm. Who? So we have uh, Domain Tata. That's um, Fort leans natural. Uh, they deal with hybrid grapes, so they definitely lean a little bit more fruity. But really, just cool wines. Um, they have the Disvinifera and more hybrid grapes. Then, um, what are some of the hybrid grapes indigenous to that area, oh, or hybrid grapes you and I have heard of? No, no. So one is called Aki Queen. Okay, so it's <laughs> it's all it's some crazy cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the best names. 
And then uh, for your more like classic is, um, well, I guess classic for Jeff Japan is in Hokkaido. So we have like Takahiko. That's the grape? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, no. That's, that's the, producer. The, the producer. And it, they make Pinot Noir. They also have um, Zygelt. They do a Paso to Grand with Zygelt and right. Pinot Noir, which is really fun. Um, they also make uh, Chardonnay. There's a little bit of skin contact Pinot Gris from Hokkaido. But these are like such beautiful, amazing and wines. And you're loving it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see like where the where people are growing grapes now, and also with climate change. Right. So Demonte, um, I talked, I chatted with Etienne uh, Demonte from Burgundy, mm-hmm. and he actually has vineyards in Hokkaido that he's oh, really? going to be making wine. So besides figuring out what to do at home, he's trying. It. Yeah. Wow. He was showing me pictures of the winery. Did he talk about bringing cuttings back, or we don't know yet. I, I think he brought cuttings there and then I cuttings think, there. Yeah. I wonder if he comes yeah, back. Yeah. To... And then I think he bought some vineyards that, that were already planted. So So I think a lot of people wouldn't know about Japanese wine unless they were kind of in these circles. I'm curious, unprompted, when somebody comes into the restaurant, I know the good guy says, Listen, what should we drink? You know, and you'll give them the best shot. But what are, what are, like, what have you learned from the customer? You know, what are they drinking? What are they asking for? Did you have to pivot your list a little because people keep asking for or want or? Um, actually, I didn't have to pivot as much. You it's more it. buying, like, more plentiful amounts. I was unsure, like, if everyone was going to be interested in doing white wine just because we are very seafood heavy. But I'm not sure, you know, if we were going to have a bunch of people that wanted more classics like Brunello and stuff. Um, but the thing that so I love So your instinct to whatever Brunello you brought in, nobody was asking for more. So you got that right. Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, I have your, I have your Soldera, you know, for that, for that Brunello right. br- bro. But You do have Soldera? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here's your Soldera. Shut up. <laughs> right? We have it. Um but uh, yeah, but people people are so open minded about you know uh, taking a journey with different whites, sparkling, going for the pairings, um, being introduced to a new wine, you know, trying the LBO from Sierra de Gredos or this was pre-COVID, like Wall Street days when guys would walk into restaurants and they were like masters of the universe of wine. Like you'd come over and because you were a woman, they'd say, Where's the sommelier? And you're like, I am the sommelier. Oh, you're and then they'd say, you know, do you have Camus or Latour? Um, are people still sort of like know-it-alls or they're more inquisitive and defer to you? More inquisitive and defer. That, that whole yeah. vibe is softened, and right? And I, I think that's the thing is you come into Illis and you don't know what the menu is going to be like. You haven't seen the wine list. You're just going in for the experience. Right. And I feel like that's when people are just like – all right, I'm sitting down. You're making decisions for me. Right. Which is, listen, I I think after people sitting here listening to this podcast realize how thoughtful you are and how much goes into it, when you walk into any restaurant and specifically a restaurant like this that is so unique, you put so much time and effort into it. You know, people really should defer, you know, Mm -hmm. but they should be, they should tell you what they like, so that helps you. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, so two more questions before we get to our wine list, which I forgot to tell you about. Um, 
it's obvious you and Mads sat down, sit down as far as the cooking ingredients so that the wine list, and you alluded to it, is compatible, right? Mm -hmm. um, if there's any changes um, in the uh, food list, you'll adopt if you have to. Mm -hmm. But the two minds are, you know, you're, you're not working in the blind, right? No, no. Yeah. I mean, that's what's beautiful about having that open kitchen. And, you know, uh, last week I was um, focusing more on um, expediting and running food and being part of the kitchen. And I was there tasting them uh, R&Ding a couple new dishes and kind of getting some ideas for, you know, wine pairings or, right. you know, something that will so be super tasty. Spinning. Mm -hmm. um, is Mads a wine drinker? Because I know guys like Eric Repair and Danielle will come out and drink oh, the yeah. burgundy. And he loves so wine. He loves wine. So he yeah. knows what's going on there. Yeah. All right. Last thing on wine. We didn't get into it. Um, but where's the thought or execution of what people call natural wine. Mm -hmm. You know, like my friend Jorge at Frenchette has a natural wine list only. You know, yes. where, what's your sort of take on that? Because these are forage foods, natural mm -hmm. small producers, you know, kind of fits into that. What do you do there? Uh, I do represent uh, natural wines on the list, but I also have classical. It's a really, it's, I want this list to feel inclusive, price point-wise, style-wise. I want there to be esoteric wines for the adventurous one, and I want there to be classics for the people that, you know, like to, they know what they like to drink. Right. Um, but, I mean, we have Christian Shida's, um, we have a whole lineup of his wines. Um, we love Haiyu. We have a ton of the different Haiyu wines from or Nate Oregon. Reddy. Oh, my God. They're yeah. so much fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're, you're, you're playing to everyone in a good way. Yes. It's like, you don't have to be the, you know, a natural wine list. It's thought out, probably a fairly sustainable thought out, small, medium producers, except for maybe the Bordeaux guys. Yeah. Yeah. Know, which are big. Um, all right. So that's the wine listed illness. You said there were what, 800 different SKUs? Yes. And growing. That grows, right? Mm -hmm. Um, how many bottles is that? Uh, right, right now, our capacity is thirty five hundred on premise or off on premise. Okay, yeah, and you have we're room working for more. Yeah, so we are. It's cool. You can actually see into the wine cellar when you head to the bathroom. We have these uh, triple pane uh, windows. Oh, neat! And um, it's a really tall cellar. Uh, with ladders that nice. you climb. And I made wow. a disco ball for it too. You did? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> D just... Disco grapes, more all like right. it. <laughs> um, all right. I want to get you out of here soon. We have a feature called The Wine List. We ask all our guests five questions. We've asked every guest from day one to today the same five questions, so there's no exception to you. Uh, be spontaneous. Don't dwell on these. Um, we post these on our social media. So the first question is, what is Tira drinking now? What's in her fridge? What's she curious about? Did the change of seasons push you to different wines? What are you drinking? Uh, I mean, champagne is always... Always drinking champagne. I'm, I'm always drinking champagne. Are you um, sticking I'm, with favorites or bopping around trying to taste? I love I love trying new producers okay. and such. Like I love the champagnes from Elise Bougie. Um, From who? Elise Bougie. Okay. Uh, Spell bougie. 
B-O-U-G-Y. Why? You've had me spell a lot today. Well, because people hear shit and they go, what is that? <laughs> no, no, I love it. It's keeping me Why, on my toes. You know, you're the expert. So, you know, let's make sure. All right, so champagne. You gave and, me a specific. What else? Um, And I, I'm really into a lot of Spanish whites right now. Okay, yeah. what grapes? So uh, I really love LBO from Sierra de Gredos. Okay. Uh, so like Cuatro Monos um, makes one. Um, I also really love the whites from the Canary Islands. If I really want to go for something salty and very like mineral. What are the, the grapes, the white grapes in the Canary Islands? So there's uh Liston Blanco. Right. There's Mama Willow. There's a, um, um, there's an Albio there. There is. So there's a whole a, bunch. Yeah, no. And they're all, they're all indigenous to there. Who's doing a great job? I know Ann Venante. They've been on the show. They make great wines. Anyone else? Uh, I mean, I mean, Ann Venante is great. Um, I really love uh, Vict- uh, Victoria. Forgetting her last name. We'll fill in the blanks yeah. when we remember. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is she a woman? Is that? Yes. Cool. Uh, Victoria Torres. Torres. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So those are good. That's enough. Um, and I'm sure there's more, but those kind of come top of mind. This is the goofiest question on the list. Your, not what you think is, but your favorite wine and food pairing. Something obviously you don't eat all the time, but it's a good ooh when you eat it. And here, we have a Grape Nation rule. Can't say champagne and oysters. Too obvious. <laughs> and you may have said that. Um, my favorite because you're around a lot of oysters and you love <laughs> champagne. Go ahead. What's your? Um, my favorite is sake and pizza. So, you know, <laughs> champagne and pizza is like a killer. Tell me why sake and pizza works. First time it, ever. It just works. <laughs> what is it? Is it the acidity yeah. or the profile? Or? I mean, it's so sake and cheese go really well together. Another good yeah. pairing. Well, yeah. a lot of cheese on pizza. And then also, I think because of the like lower acidity and it's like uh, kind of like softer texture, it just really complements like spicy pepperoni or the tomato sauce and the acidity in that. Like I said, first time, almost 300 times, first time anybody ever said sake and pizza. <laughs> would sake be decent with a cheese platter or there's just yes. it, would, it mm-hmm. has all the same elements? Yeah, and you can play around with different, more umami-driven ones with certain cheeses or do some softer, even shokara, like super dry styles. Nice. That's a good one. All right, tell me... I'm going to ask you the question and I'll set you up for the answer. Tell me your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. And I'm not saying rank them or whatever you say is your favorite. Just give me some good ones. Cause I don't want you bumping into any friends and say, how come you didn't mention my place? <laughs> There's many wonderful point a few out. Uh, I w- Popina. Okay. Popina's. James, yeah. he's been on the show. I mean, I love it. But it's just such a great place. It's a very list. soulful place. And it's just it's just nice. And I'll give him a plug. He has Justin Smilly, the chef there, cooking for the month. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could get that on Resi. Uh, what else? And uh, he has a great wine program. So I'm talking mm-hmm. wine and food. You know, I really loved the wine list at um, Jupiter. Uh, my friend Lauren's place. And I'm not just saying that because you could she, anyway. <laughs> but what's she doing? Like but what it, it's just Jupiter so Jupiter well, leans Italian. But also there's Burgundy and there's champagne. And you know, it's it's such a 
it, you find so many gems and they're so well-priced and it's just, it's a very well-curated list. So you said three things that are great. Well-curated, well-priced, and there seems like a diversity of some cool stuff. Yeah. What's better than that? Yeah. You just have to go to Rockefeller Center. <laughs> eh, I worked but there. I worked at NBC. It's cool. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a it's little, it's like a trip to the city for me. I love it. It's truly what Midtown is. That's mm -hmm. Midtown. Um, you got one more that you can think of? Um, Four Horsemen. Wine bar. With yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Four Horsemen comes up as much or more than anywhere else. And there's no coincidence why. Yeah. I mean, Nick's food and Justin and the guy's wine list. It's just a cool place. Um, all right. That's the third question. Fourth question is, what is your favorite all-time wine? And again, let me, when I first started the show, I wanted to find out what's the most expensive, like rare, cool wine that Tira drank. You know, Crown Shy gets them. Paul gets around them. You probably have a few bottles now. I don't care about that. Think back about the wine that had the most influence on you. That was a gateway. That's important. That changed the way you think about it. It could be one. It could be a few. Is there a wine that you could still remember like, man, this is why I love wine when I had this. Can you think of any? Yes. Um, it is Salvo Foti's Eat Vignery, um, Vinu Petra. Oh boy. So Foti, <laughs> F-O-T-I. Yes. From where in? Uh, it's uh, from Mount Etna in Sicily. So it's a Sicilian wine. And yeah. what type of wine was it? It's the it's, grape? Uh, so it's uh, Norello Mascalese. Okay. Uh, and it's from um, uh, Evignery is the name of the project. And okay. it's headed by Salvo Foti. And it's um, uh, at Nobroso. From why, why, why did you answer that one? Why did that one resonate? That was that's my like light bulb wine it was. that I had. That's exactly yeah. what I want. When yeah. was that? I was twenty one, and oh, I was. So it's been a while. Yeah, not that you're old, but I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was twenty one and uh, working at Delfina Restaurant in San Francisco. Okay, and my wine director, uh, Chris. He uh, opened that and I just like opened my mind to like terroir and also like volcanic wines. And from there, I just became really obsessed and with Sicily. And you still feel strong after being exposed to all this other nonsense. You still feel strongly about Sicilian wines, that mm -hmm. winery, that wine. Yeah. Um, actually, today we're uh, changing into an evignery at Noroso for By the Glass at Illis. Oh, nice. And so I'm going to be tasting the staff on That's that today. That's why By the Glass gives mm -hmm. you, you know, a chance at all. And exposing people to these ones. Yeah. I, you know, I, I tell people this all the time. I mean, the By the Glass thing exposes you to stuff that you could be drinking the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, you don't have to buy a bottle and leave it to you to pick it. All right, last question. Best wine around 15, 20, 22 bucks retail. You should know you worked in retail. Um, I need a red. I need a white. You can give me makers. You can give me category. Like Muscadet is a great value for white mm -hmm. if you get the right guys and all that. I always say my kids are your age and a little younger. They can't afford to go to a party with a $50, $60 bottle of wine. Yeah. They can't afford to give that as a gift you know, uh, for dinner or at a dinner. So how do you wow at 18, 20, 22 bucks? Give me some wines. Give me some region. You know, what should I look for? Yeah. Um, I really love Shirello's. 
uh, like there's the part. X. A-R-E-L-O from Spain. From Spain, from the Penedes, yes. I just had Pepe Reventos on last week. Yeah. He's a master with Shirello. So so there are some really great affordable uh, Shirellos. Um, you can, uh, for reds, I really love Pais from Chile. I think they're, you can get like a liter of it. Incredible. For, yeah. It's, and it's like light and spicy. Fourth show in a row that Pais has come up. Oh, really? As a, you know, Josh Green does my year end show. Oh, my gosh. He's hawking chili. Um, yeah. Like uh, Roberto Enriquez, um, he, he makes a skin contact, Semyon, a Pais. Mm. And they're, they're so affordable. So Chilean Pais. Um, so that's red, right? Yes. It's right. actually a grape that originates from the Canary Islands. And then it also has another identity as the they mission grape. Over there? Yeah. All right. What about whites? Uh, so there was the Shirellos. Oh, um, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. We did Shirello. Yeah. We did from Spain uh, and we did Pais. So you answered the uh, question. Is there anything then, in closing you want to throw in? My bad. Sorry. Ooh, maybe, um, maybe some Loire. I, what what in the yeah world? like I wouldn't you know if you can find a like a Chenin Blanc or there's other other uh, obscure grape varieties like Minot Pinot um, that are on the lower end of the yeah. price scale but good quality because it's Loire yeah I think you can find you can find them for like you, twenty bucks you could find some yeah friends for and then Laura. and then Riesling yes yes German Riesling. All right, you, you nailed that. All right, I mentioned to you earlier, we post your answers on social media. The fun thing about having people on like you is to tap into your expertise. That's why I make you spell stuff. So people <laughs> can say, Jarello, that sounds cool. They start Googling with a Z. Or, <laughs> so we try to help them out, all right? All right, before I let you go, we do a feature called the Weekly Wine Sip. It's a perfect segment where if I have a winemaker on, we taste his wine. Um, if we have a Psalm on, you know, I encourage you and I ask you to bring in a wine that kind of represents your vibe, the restaurant's vibe. But make it accessible, meaning it's not some unicorn. Make it reasonable. You know, it's not 90 bucks um, retail. And bring something cool in. And you did that. Um, you brought a thing called Mikale 2022. Take it from there and talk about this wine. While you're talking about it, I'm pouring us some more. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. For us. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, Javi Rivera's um, Micolette. So this is a white wine that he does. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to uh, visit him in July uh, when I went to Spain for a wine trip. And he's based in uh, Valencia on the western uh, side. It's very mountainous, uh, rocky. But I, his passion, he's so young and his wines are just so elegant and he, he uses um, all these different indigenous uh, grape varieties that are, that his grandfather planted back. Is so, it a blend? Yeah. So this one's a uh, white, so it's a blend. Is it a field blend? Yeah. Or he... So it's a field blend uh, from a vineyard that his grandfather planted in 1948. And it's a bunch of uh, grape varieties that I've never heard of before. And then Malvasia because Malvasia shows up everywhere by the Mediterranean. All right. So, it's a white wine. Let's look at the color. It's kind of a strawish yellow, not light, not deep, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's got some nice color, right? Um, get your schnozzle in there and tell me what descriptors you get on the nose. 
I suck at this. You're the expert. <laughs> um, it's really like the fruit just comes out and it's just like really fresh. Kind what of like, like melon, I would say. Um, it is maybe, a fresh nose. Yeah. I mean, it's not you know, oxidated or leaning toward, you know, petrol no, like some old. Like a lot of stone fruit too, like yeah. peach. Yes. And it's just, you know, it just, it feels like early summer. All right, let's let's throw it over the tongue and talk about two things. First, mouthfeel. Pretty medium, leaning away, not negative. Yeah. I mean, it's a full, not not cloying or unctuous, mm-hmm. but full, right? Yeah. A nice feel. It definitely has a texture to it. And I, I really love... Texture, lo- yeah, that's yeah. the word. Yeah. <laughs> I really love textured whites. Um, it just... They're so enjoyable to drink on their own and then also with food. But I feel like this is a really great it's wine to... in the mouth. Yeah. And I, it really spreads out. So do the palate descriptors replicate the nose descriptors or do you pick up some new stuff? No. So whenever I taste on the palate, I look for body, acidity, you know, um, tannin structure, you know, if it's a red or skin contact. But the acidity's uh, right in the middle. It's yeah, not it's not it's heavy, not, and it's not l- void of acidity. Mm-hmm. It's really a good balance of that. It it feels like uh, I I would recommend this to someone who likes Chenin Blanc or even a lighter style of Chardonnay. Um, so it's Michelet M I C A L E T. We're drinking the twenty two, which is what's out there now. The twenty two. Um, if you had a guess, not restaurant, retail, what do you think a bottle's going for? Uh, retail, I would say it's probably around 40 okay. on the shelf, 30 to 40. So that's um, not cheap. It's not expensive, but it's a pretty damn elegant wine. Yeah. I think it drinks above its... Oh, definitely. Now let's talk about foods that pair well with this individual wine. Mm-hmm. What would you pick? Uh, I would... You know, I would go anything from, you know, like fresh vegetables, roasted vegetables, to even having a chicken. Okay. I feel like it has that texture to it. That would really complement. What about a nice roast chicken with vegetables? Oh, absolutely. Okay. If you want a salad. If you want... This would be good with a salad. Yeah. This would actually be really good with, um, we have this, we have these oysters at the restaurant. And uh, we have uh, slices of pineapple that you uh, squeeze over the oyster. You squeeze stuff. the pineapple like a mm-hmm. lemon? Yeah, like a so lemon. you get this subtle pineapple juice? Mm-hmm. And it gives these like tropical kind of vibes, and I feel like that would really complement it. And so the, mm-hmm. the oyster you picked with a little squeeze of pineapple in this wine yeah. would be great. Can you tell me about one more dish before we end the show? They bring a sealed clam with a little <laughs> opening. Is it a clam or a... Yeah, it's a surf so clam. T- walk me through this dish. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh it's been a dish since we opened. Uh so it's a surf clam. Which is a larger yeah, a yeah. handful. It's clam. huge. Yeah. It's huge. And we actually um so we seal it with beeswax. So it doesn't leak. Yeah, yeah. So but it's you like leave a little together. opening. But we leave a little opening at the uh top. Um and it uh has it's kind of like our riff on like clamato in a way. So it's like a nice, cooling, refreshing. There's a tomato type 
Mm-hmm. Additive broth. Yeah, or, yeah. And it's just like really cooling and just like refreshing. And, and you drink, you pick up the clam. You pick up the clam and uh, you uh, sip it like it's you're drinking out of a flask. And it's uh, lined with sumac at the very top. Is that like a fixture dish there now? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. It's a it's a it's a fun dish to start the meal off. All right. That's Tira Johnson. Tira's got a lot of exciting fun stuff going on in her life. She's working hard. Um visit her at Illis in Greenpoint in New York. Tira, we have to do a quick wrap up. I want to get some info from you and I just want to tell our people a few things. So if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. The reason we ask you to subscribe is Tira will pop up as soon as the podcast is released and ready to go to listen. Um, Leave a review if you like the podcast. We appreciate that. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby and on Twitter at BenRuby. I know those are two different handles, but you can find us with the hashtag The Grape Nation on both. As I mentioned, we'll post here as wine list all those cool choices she made for our five questions. And I will give you more information on our weekly wine sip. Truly one of the more interesting wines anyone's brought in in a while, not knocking anyone in the past, (laughs) Um, but this is a very cool wine. I was excited about it. Um, So Tira, tell me two things. Where can we find you on social media? If people are like, who's this Tira kid? Where can I follow her? Where do we follow you? And where do we follow Illis and get more info on that? Yeah. So um, Illis, we're on Instagram. It's Illis, NYC. I-L-I-S-N-Y-C. NYC. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, my Instagram is Tira, T-I-R-A underscore underscore Johnson. Two underscores? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Um, what if I want to eat at Illis? How do I get into the process of making a reservation? Is it Resi, Open Table? Uh, Resi. Okay. So we have uh, reservations up on Resi. Uh, we release them on the first of every month uh, for the future month. And But I would also say our barn lounge is the way to go. Um, walk in? Walk in. With a, and it has, a third menu from what we talked about. Yeah, so it's a um, pretty much our menu, but a la carte. So okay. it's not it's not every dish, but you can order a whole or a half chicken. They have several that our our whole raw bar. You can get the the surf what clam drink. What time does the restaurant open? Five thirty. So if I get my ass there early, I'm pretty assured of yeah. a seat. Okay. And honestly, and I, it turns over. I you know I right now it's I it's definitely definitely come and even at like seven or eight p.m. Okay, it's a it, we have about fourteen seats at oh, the bar. So and then the lounge, it can hold a lot. We have. Can you eat in the lounge? Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. And that's that other menu, the lounge and the bar? The lounge and the bar, yeah. Very it's cool. just like a smaller a la carte family. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said earlier, if you haven't heard of Illis, you're going to be hearing about it. And like I said earlier, also look for uh, Tira. Um, one quick note before we go, and you may be able to relate to this, just a plug for our friends. Um, quick note about an upcoming event. Burgundy Wine Festival La Palais going by coastal in February and March in 2024 with a trio of events in New York, bookending a full program in L.A. 
Um, the program includes a series of walk-around tastings, informative seminars, intimate domain-focused wine dinners, and La Paule signature BYO gala dinner. Over 30 of Burgundy's finest estates, I think Tira visited 29 of them, um, <laughs> will show their wines. So for more info, go to www.lapaule.com for more info. That's www.lapaule.com ee.com for more information on that i want to thank our guest tira johnson um thank you for coming in this is a lot of fun great point in your life glad to share it with our listeners so thank you for that thank you as always to our engineer armin and everyone at the heritage radio network i'm sam ben ruby and you've been listening to the grape nation the Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.